All women experience the menopause, but sadly many women and health professionals still don't understand the signs and symptoms of perimenopause and menopause or know how to treat them. Today, I talk to GP, menopause specialist and world leading authority on the topic, Dr. Louise Newson, about how women can monitor and manage the perimenopause and menopause in midlife. Hi, I'm neuroscientist Dr. Ben Webb, and I want to help you cultivate a healthy brain for a mentally healthy and happy life. Welcome to episode 54 of Better Brain, Better You. Hi there. I hope you're having a good week and I'm really pleased you could join me for today's episode on managing the menopause with Dr. Louise Newson. If you're watching on YouTube, please do like, subscribe and hit that notification bell to hear when we release new videos. And thanks so much for listening in wherever you get your podcasts. We release weekly episodes for brains of all ages. So the hormonal changes that happen during menopause have a huge impact on a woman's brain health and mental health. Given that two-thirds of Alzheimer's sufferers are postmenopausal women, it's critical that women of all ages, but particularly midlife women, take really good care of their brain health. And just as you can protect other areas of your health, you can take steps to keep your brain healthy, preserve your memory, and prevent brain diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and stroke. And to help you optimize your brain health, I've put together a guide that shows you the six simple steps that you can take right now to keep your brain healthy. You can get this free guide at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash brain health. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash brain health. Please do go ahead and download the free guide. It will help you stop, start optimizing your brain health immediately. Today, I'm talking to GP and menopause specialist, Dr. Louise Newson about the menopause and her forthcoming book, Preparing for the Perimenopause and Menopause. Louise is the leading authority in the UK on menopause and has written extensively on the topic. She's the founder and director of Menopause and Wellbeing Centre in Stratford-upon-Avon, where she and her team provide evidence-based and holistic care for perimenopause and menopause. Welcome to the podcast, Louise. Oh, thanks for inviting me. You trained as a, as a GP, so why did you choose to become a menopause specialist and set up a private clinic to help women with their menopausal symptoms? Yes, it's a great question. I actually trained as a hospital physician, actually, when I first started. I wanted to do cancer medicine and um, I did some training, was in hospital medicine for a few years and then my husband, who I actually met when I was 18 as a surgeon, and I thought, actually, if I have children and um, want to see them, I can't do hospital medicine because then it was in the 90s and it was very hard to work part-time, um, even as a woman. So I went into general practice and I was quite shocked actually because my trainer said to me, you're going to be a really bad GP because you're a hospital physician, you'll only care about disease, not about patients. And so when someone tells you you're going to do something really badly, the reverse psychology works and I decided to do really well. And I then thought actually patients are more than just a disease, they're just, they're not a number, they are real people with real issues, real lives. And I know that sounds really stupid coming from me as a doctor. But actually, you know, in the 80s and 90s when I trained, it was very paternalistic medicine. You will do what the doctor tells you to do and you don't argue. And that's how I was trained. And it was all about disease, disease, disease. 
And actually, as I've got older, of course, it's not about paternalistic medicine. It's about shared decision making. But also, it's not about disease. It's about preventing disease. Actually, if we're healthy, we don't need to come and see the doctor. Isn't that amazing? So I'm very interested in disease prevention. I'm very interested in really big, important diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, dementia. And um, so looking at the menopause is something that I used to just treat in the way that I would treat anything else with people, when people came to see me. They have a headache, I give them painkillers and work out what's causing the headache. They come with a hot flush and I would give them HRT. And uh, there was a lot of resistance because this was in the 90s and early 2000s and then 2002 this big study came out that everyone got scared about HRT. But I read the study, I read lots of other evidence and I also not just worked as a GP but I've worked as a medical writer and I've done a lot of evidence-based medicine, a lot of also education programmes for people too, um, healthcare professionals. And so I read all the data and thought well actually HRT is still really safe and it helps prevent disease and makes people feel better. So I carried on prescribing HRT. Women came back and said, wow, this is the best I felt for ages. A lot of my colleagues said, how dare you prescribe something that's going to cause breast cancer? I said, it doesn't cause breast cancer. So we'd had a lot of stand-up rows, very difficult consultations actually, because women will be taken off HRT and I'd start it. And it's very hard when there's conflict between healthcare professionals. So I found it really hard and then in 2016 the uh, NICE, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence, brought out their one and only menopause um, guidance and it was a menopause guidelines about treating and diagnosis of the menopause and their take home message was actually for the majority of women the benefits of HRT outweigh any risks and there are lots of benefits. So I thought this is great actually because someone's supporting me um, showing how good HRT is and how safe it is. So then I thought right I'm going to do more because I can't do more in my primary care because there's so much resistance in my GP practice. So I'll try and set up a clinic. So I became a, an advanced menopause trainer. I went to various CCGs and health authorities to say I'd like to open a clinic. Well no there's no funding for that. I said well it's a lot cheaper for a GP to manage the menopause than a secondary care person, someone in hospital. They said no there's no funding. Um, I went to my local hospital and they said no the only clinic we have is on a Monday and that's the day that I was working as a GP. They said but even if you did have time we haven't got any funding. So then um, I was in my mid 40s then and so some of my friends were experiencing symptoms and they were um, telling me about their hot flushes and sweats and low mood and anxiety and headaches and joint pains and urinary symptoms but they were coming out of their GP practices with prescriptions for medication called sertraline, venlafaxine, citalopram. I said these are antidepressants, they're not a treatment for menopause, what's going on? Um, so one of my mentors said to me, we'll just set up a private clinic and I said no I do not want to do private medicine, that's not why I've worked in the NHS for so long and she said that's the only way you'll get to see patients so I thought I'll do one day a week and help some of my friends and the mums from school. In the meantime because I've done a lot of medical writing I developed and set up Menopause Doctor website because I was really shocked with the lack of good quality evidence-based information for women and for men to learn about the menopause and perimenopause and my clinic suddenly became very busy and I was seeing women don't forget this was before Covid so people travelled but people were coming from the north and they were coming from Scotland and they were coming from the south coast and across from Wales travelling for many hours telling me that they had given up their jobs, their partners were leaving them or had left them, their lives were car crashes, they'd had symptoms sometimes for 20-30 years and no one was helping them other than giving them antidepressants. So I felt really sad about this and I still do feel really sad. 
So I um, expanded my clinic, got one of my friends, Rebecca Lewis, who's one of the directors, to work with me. And then nearly three years ago, we actually set up a proper dedicated clinic in Stratford-Von-Avon, and it's now the largest menopause clinic in the world. Um, but I'm very embarrassed that it's private. We can't get jobs in the NHS. I'm working as an advisor for the NHS for their national menopause programme. But we see women who mainly can't afford to come, but they want their lives back and they want their health to improve. Um, so I'm very um, philanthropic, if you like, with the way the business model works. So I obviously fund the Menopause Doctor website, fund my weekly podcast. I need to add that I have no declarations. I do no paid work with any pharmaceutical companies or endorse any products. So um, we also have set up a not-for-profit company called Newton Health Research and Education. So we've developed an education programme. For healthcare professionals and we've started to do quite a lot of research in various aspects and I've um, launched the Balance app as well and just recently founded the Menopause Charity. So that's a very long answer, I'm really sorry but that's just that's the scene of it. <laughs> because you're an incredibly busy woman doing some, some amazing work so so there's, I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, isn't there, about the menopause? And we, I mean, it's a completely natural biological process for women, and you know, there's lots of lots of misunderstanding, as you kind of alluded to there, about the treatment of menopausal symptoms as well. So could you just could you just unpack for us what what I mean, what is the menopause, and how is it different, let's say, from the from the perimenopause? Yeah, so if we look at the word menopause, meno is menstrual cycle, so women's periods, pauses, stop. And it's a very weird diagnosis because it's a retrospective look back in time diagnosis. Officially, you can't be menopausal as a woman unless you haven't had your period for a year. So a lot of times women start to experience menopausal symptoms um, before their periods stop or their periods might start changing in nature or frequency, becoming more irregular. So this is termed the perimenopause because peri just means around the time of. So hormones just start usually, as you say, naturally to decline. Our ovaries just reduce in function, so the hormones associated reduce. They don't reduce very slowly, it's usually in a very haphazard way. So when women are perimenopausal, often they say they feel fine for a few days or a few months, and then they get symptoms. And so it's very hard sometimes to recognize that it's related to their hormone levels. Um, for some women, it's not natural though. Some women have their ovaries removed in an operation. If their ovaries are removed, they're rendered, uh, they're rendered menopausal from that day. Some women have their ovaries damaged for, by drugs, for example, from chemotherapy or some breast cancer treatment drugs or by radiotherapy in that area. So then they will have an earlier menopause. The average age of the menopause in the UK, not that any woman is average, but the average age is 51. So that means there's a lot of women in their 40s who are perimenopausal. But we also know that one in a hundred women under the age of 40 have an early menopause, one in a thousand under the age of 30. So it's very common in younger women as well. And perimenopause obviously is very common in young women. And once women have low hormones, because that's what happens, they last forever. And our hormone, especially estrogen, has receptors on every single cell in our body. So it's really important for the way our bodies function. So if we don't have estrogen, we have an increased risk of diseases, which include diabetes, osteoporosis, dementia, um, cardiovascular disease, clinical depression. So really important diseases actually, which are being neglected. And if you look at the commonest cause of death in women worldwide actually, is heart disease and dementia. Yet we know only about 10% of women less in some areas take HRT. 
it's, so they've denied their hormones and so the menopause whether it causes symptoms or not causes health risks and this is where we need to change the narrative about what the menopause really is and what it means for women yeah but so given as you alluded to then that you know it's obviously this these changes are happening you know on top of the kind of natural fluctuations that are happening in a woman's hormones across her cycle so is given that that's happening how can she determine if she is perimenopause or or or, or, or menopause or, i mean so what could what should she be asking her doctor yeah it's a really good question but it's not easy to answer because there isn't a single blood test so if you look at the nice guidance which is obviously what we work out of they're very clear that if a woman is over 45 blood tests are a waste of time if they're younger they might be helpful but actually in my clinical practice i don't really do a hormone blood test to make a diagnosis the diagnosis is on the story itself so it's on the symptoms that women are experiencing and actually if women have the information they can often make the diagnosis themselves you know if i had both my ovaries removed it's obvious that my ovaries have gone, my hormones have gone as well. Yet we know so few women are even offered HRT after having their ovaries removed. I don't know why, but that's just one of the things. If a woman stopped their periods, again, after, and they're getting symptoms, they will be menopausal. It's the perimenopause that can be very difficult because if you have symptoms of low mood, anxiety, poor sleep, is it because of life is it because of your job is it because of your family is it because of covid or is it because of your menopause who do we how do we know and we can't do a blood test there's lots of websites and companies that are offering hormone blood tests either saliva or blood or urine or self prick at home blood tests they're a waste of time because if i was perimenopausal and i might be feeling fine when i have my blood test done the result will come back and say normal at three in the morning, I might be having an awful night sweat. Of course, my hormone levels will be low then. No one's gonna take a blood test then. So these changes that occur actually mean that it's very difficult to take, to do a test. Um, so it's more about symptoms rather than anything else. So that makes it hard for healthcare professionals and actually hard for the women as well to know. Yeah, so you have to use clinical symptoms to diagnose it, but is there any ongoing research to look at developing diagnostic tools or is that just something that's not realistic given the nature of the problem? Yeah, we're looking at some options, but the problem is you can't just measure hormones because of the way they fluctuate so much. And so it's looking at other things, other markers, and actually um, we're working with a company called Glycan Age because they look at your biological versus your chronological age. And we know as soon as your hormones start to decline in the perimenopause, this is where when you have low hormone levels, you have this increased inflammation in the body. And a low grade inflammation is bad because it increases the risk of all these diseases I've mentioned. And you get, for example, an accelerated bone loss, hence the increased risk of osteoporosis. You get accelerated atherosclerosis, so furring of the lining of the arteries, inflammation of the endothelium, the lining of the arteries. Our macrophages, which are our immune system, if they are chronically not working well and causes inflammations, pro-inflammatory state, they contribute to these diseases, including mental health diseases as well, we seem to um, realise more and more from research. So if we can work out a time in a woman's life where her biological age suddenly drops, or, or, or increases I should say, then it means that there must be something going on biologically in their body. And it's not all due to hormones, but a lot of it will be. 
And that's probably the best way of working it out because we all know, a lot of us who have been perimenopausal know, we suddenly, often suddenly, but even a bit more gradually, look at ourselves and think, God, we look older. You know, our skin's changing, our hair's changing, our joints are changing. Some of us look down and think, oh, I've got this waist. I've got, I'm putting on weight that I've never done. So you can see that your body's changing. But if we can do that in a test, then that's really important because what I'm trying to do with a lot of my work is change the narrative of the menopause is thinking about it as a long-term hormone deficiency with health risks. So we're not just thinking about, oh, this poor woman who's got symptoms. We're thinking about, goodness me, this woman has got an increased risk of all these diseases without her hormones. How can we do that? How can we reduce the burden on, on, our, on our health, actually, and also the national health as well? So it's looking at that side of things I think is really important and then people listen more because the menopause has just been thought of as it's a grey-haired woman's problem and she's just got to sort it out and it's just not like that no absolutely so I mean you refer to some some of the diseases that are associated with it and so some so we know um there's a lot of common kind of brain symptoms a lot of psychological symptoms as well i wonder if you could just speak to that a bit about some of the common brain symptoms i mean brain fog is the kind of word that's sort of banded around a lot that's associated with it yeah absolutely and and this is well, this is why people need help more than anything else is their psychological symptoms people can cope often with hot flushes and sweats but when our brains don't function it's really hard to function in general so the hormones estrogen but also testosterone because we produce three times more testosterone than estrogen as you know, are pivotal in, in the way our brain functions and metabolizes and, and works. And so a lot of women find they have low mood, they have anxiety. They often have very deep, dark thoughts that can be quite intrusive and very frightening, especially in the early hours of the morning when hormone levels are at their lowest. They can have this brain fog, memory problems, what problem finding the right words um, can be a, a real issue as well. They often feel very... Um, low in their self-esteem feelings of low worth a lot of women just say I feel joyless I feel flat I'm just I'm just not who I used to be and it's those symptoms that can really floor you and you can quite quickly understand why about 20% of women give up their jobs because they can't function you know I was finding when I was perimenopause and my memory was shocking I would look at this patient and think what she just told me oh my goodness, I can't, I can't remember. And then I would remember, and then I think, well, I can't remember what to prescribe. What's that drug? What's that antibiotic? Well, I can't remember. And it's just it's scary, really scary. And then some people have a lot of irritability, a lot of anger issues. It's like you've got some demon in your brain telling you it's okay to shout at everyone. And it's usually the people you really love that you shout at more. So, um, you know, we're all aware of teenagers and how their moods, moods can swing, and a lot of it is hormonal. But rather than just blaming the hormones, let's think about, it's not the hormones fault, it's a lack of hormones actually that are causing this. So um, uh, yeah, so the, the brain symptoms are huge and often misdiagnosed. We're doing some work with the Maudsley Hospital at the moment from the psychiatrist there. And there's a lot of um, women who have been misdiagnosed as clinical depression. And I've seen quite a few women who have actually been sectioned and given ECT and being told they've got bipolar and I know they're not because when I've given them HRT they've really improved so but it's not been thought of which is a real shame I mean that so 
yeah, you mentioned the later the kind of the misdiagnosis and the misdiagnosis of depression, but there's also this strong link, or you know, that two two thirds of women will end up with um, sorry, two thirds of people who end up with dementia will will be women, and there's now this sort of growing link between that and some of the kind of outcomes of of menopause. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's been some recent research that's come out from America actually showing that women who take HRT are 28% less likely to develop Alzheimer's. Um, and it, it, the effect is even better in, with the body identical hormones. So that's the natural hormones that we produce ourselves that can be obtained from the NHS. Um, and it's no surprise actually because a lot of women, once they have the right dose and type of HRT, their brains work again. So you can think, you can remember, and you can use your brain. And we know there's lots of research, isn't there, that people that do crosswords regularly or Sudoku or rebooks, they're less likely to develop dementia. So some of it is the direct effect, I'm sure, of the hormones. Some of it is because they can use their brains as well. So there's a twofold thing too. Um, it's really frustrating for me though, because um, you know the Alzheimer charities have got lots of funding for lots of projects going on looking at disease and anything that prevents disease but none of their funding is about female hormones and even if you were alien from out of space and you came and realized that something that affects women more than men surely hormones have got to be a link and we've got really good studies that show that women who've had an early um, menopause so had their ovaries removed early a far higher risk of Alzheimer's. So the pathophysiology is there, some of the um, mechanisms of action we know, but no one's putting the pieces together because people have just ignored the menopause for the last 20 years because they've been so scared of HRT. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation and confusion out there, isn't there, about HRT as you've alluded to. I mean, could you, this is a, a big question to answer in five, five minutes, but could you sort of briefly unpack what HRT is? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's, yeah, it's really important. So HRT is just hormone replacement therapy. Even that is wrong because if you start it in the, in the perimenopause, you're not replacing hormones, you're topping up. So um, some countries call it menopausal hormonal therapy, which is probably better, but then it doesn't include perimenopause. But it is just hormones in the same way that insulin is a hormone, the same way that thyroxine is a hormone. It's just another hormone in our bodies. So there are different types, there are different doses. The building block, if you like, is oestrogen. Now the safest way of having oestrogen is through the skin as a patch, a gel or a spray, because then it gets applied to the skin, goes through the skin into the bloodstream. So it doesn't have to be metabolized, digested, broken down by the liver if you have it as a tablet. So that's definitely the best way to have it. And it's the pure 17 beta oestradiol, so it's the natural form of oestrogen, the, the really safe form of oestrogen. Then if women still have their womb, then they have to have a progesterone. Uh, and again, there's a natural progesterone, which is an oral capsule that people take, um, usually in the evening because it can help them sleep, which is quite a nice side effect. And then there's testosterone, which we use as a cream or a gel, again, because it's got the advantages, applies to skin, goes into the bloodstream. Um, the problem with testosterone is it's not licensed for women in the UK, which is absolutely scandalous. In my mind, we're not allowed our own hormone back. So we prescribe um, a regulated product that is licensed in Australia, actually, which is a cream that has to be um, bought privately. It costs about 80p a day in the UK. Or on the NHS, you can prescribe male testosterone, because obviously men are allowed their own hormone back in a lot smaller doses. So there are ways of working around, but we're doing a lot of work at the minute to, to really push for the 
uh, licensing of testosterone. Um, so there are different doses, there are different types, it's working out what's best for the woman, we just replace what's missing to try and achieve a physiological response. The big worry that everyone has about HRT is they think it causes breast cancer and a big study came out in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative study, which was set up actually to look to see how women taking HRT, how their health would improve. It was a really bad study for so many reasons. It should never have been done, but it was. It was a billion dollar study, not a million, a billion dollar study. A lot of money was put into this because everyone saw how good HRT was. But they gave very different HRT to what we prescribed. So they gave tablet estrogen, which I said has some risks. So there's a small risk of clot, there's a small risk of stroke with it. Um, and they gave quite a high dose and they gave it to women who were in their 60s, started HRT in their 60s. They also gave it in combination with a synthetic progesterone, so not the natural nice body identical progesterone, something that we know on itself has a small risk of clot, a small risk of heart disease with it. Um, but they still gave that. So not you can't, it's like comparing apples with pears, that they're both all fruit, it's like HRT, but they're different. Anyway, they gave it and they were showing that people started to feel better. But then they were looking at the results and they, they thought there was a slight increased risk of breast cancer. It wasn't statistically significant, but actually what happened was they were spending a lot of money and not getting really good results. And they decided to pull the plug on the study and tell everyone that there was this risk of breast cancer. Some of the investigators actually said, do not do this because it's not analyzed properly. It's not statistically significant. Do not put it out because we haven't analysed the data. They said it's too late. It's gone to the New York Herald or whatever. It's gone to the medical press. It's already in print. And they said this is going to be the biggest damage to women's health and it will take decades to unpick. And they said, so what? Doesn't matter. So there's lots of politics involved. Obviously then everyone's scared. This study has been analysed, reanalyzed, re-reanalyzed as you can imagine. And there's some good data from it. Not all women were in their 60s who started HRT. They found that when women were under 60 started HRT, they actually had a lower risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia. So all the things that we know now, great. They also showed that women who carried on taking HRT for 18 years, because it's been over 18 years now, actually have a lower risk of death from all causes, including from cancer. So they're less likely to die from breast cancer and all the other diseases as well. So that's pretty win-win. So where does that leave us then? Well, if you really look and dig deep, the estrogen only, women who'd had a hysterectomy in the study who only had estrogen, when they followed those up, they had a 25% lower risk of developing breast cancer. So estrogen's the goodie, which we know because it works really well in our bodies. Women who took the estrogen with a synthetic progesterone showed might be a small increased risk, but it's not statistically significant. But if you look at like the worst figures that are going around and look at the magnitude of risk, which is really important because a number means nothing to you as a patient. You want to know what is it for me? The magnitude of increased risk is less than the risk a woman has of developing breast cancer if she drinks a couple of glasses of wine a night, if she's overweight or does no exercise because those lifestyles will increase risk of breast cancer. So we don't crack open a bottle of wine and think, oh, it's going to increase my risk of breast cancer because the risk is really, really small. So the risk with any type of HRT is so small that it's actually not worth fretting about. But we look at what's causing the biggest disease, and we've already said heart disease and osteoporosis. We know women who take HRT, it reduces their risk of a heart attack by 50%. It's better than the statins. 
So like actually women will get breast cancer. So there's one in seven women get breast cancer. So one in seven women taking any type of HRT will get breast cancer, but it doesn't mean their HRT's caused it. Do you see what I mean? So it's just this whole narrative that's just been sold wrongly to, not just to women, but to healthcare professionals as well. And that's what's the saddest thing, is that lots of healthcare professionals have grown up being told that HRT is dangerous, do not give it. If you think about it also, so again, I look at this alien coming and I'm trying to explain to someone who's got no prejudgment. If you think, if it was oestrogen that caused breast cancer in women, there'd be lots of young women with breast cancer because lots of young women have really high levels of oestrogen in their body. The older women who are postmenopausal who have low oestrogen would never get breast cancer. It doesn't happen. So it can't be as simple as oestrogen causes breast cancer. Yeah, we need the evidence there now, don't we? They say... We need to, I mean, I know there's ongoing research now, isn't there, to try and rectify that wrong. Yeah, there's not good research because no one's interested in women's health, let alone menopause health. So there's not good funding, there's not good studies at all. And there's a real need to do more because I also know that a lot of women who take HRT, they lose weight because of the metabolic changes that occur. They exercise more because they're feeling better, they're more motivated, they've got less symptoms. And also they often drink less alcohol because they don't need to drink it to numb their symptoms. So actually this, this whole balance is shifted. So even if they're increasing their risk, their other lifestyle changes, so their overall risk is gonna be low anyway. And you know, the other thing that I always push back on is, let's ask the women, I said at the beginning about not being dictatorial to our patients. So let's ask women, and for me as a woman, if you said to me, do you know what, Louise, you're guaranteed to get breast cancer in 10 years' time if you take HRT, I would push back to you and say, well, actually, I want my job, I want my brain, I want my family, I want my husband to stay with me, and I might drop dead tomorrow by something else. And I'm really scared of osteoporosis, actually. I'm really scared of osteoporosis, and I'm pretty scared of dementia. So what I would like, as a consenting adult, to choose something, even if that risk is there. And that's what we have to remember, rather than all this noise about breast cancer and HRT the whole time, because then it takes the decision away from women. And I think, you know, we're not stupid as women. We know what we want, and we should be able to get what we want within reason. As we've discussed, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about the menopause and its treatment with HRT. But thankfully, you've written a new book titled preparing for the perimenopause and menopause and it's a short practical guide for women to better understand the perimenopause and the menopause and how to treat the symptoms so can you tell us about your book and when it's available to buy yeah so it's being launched 26th of august 2021 and um, it could be pre-ordered now it's through penguin life so we've written it in a really practical way so i've involved stories from women We've, I've also looked at uh, women who maybe have been more neglected, so women who've had cancer, for example, younger women, um, and women with HIV, lots of sort of stories about that, but it's all based on evidence. It's about how to make the diagnosis, treatment choices. Obviously, I talk a lot about HRT, but it's also about other um, ways of helping and improving your life. So diet, exercise, um, everything else as well. I've pulled in some of the experts that I work with, so dermatologists, um, 
and um, nutritionists and, and yoga specialists, you know, various other people as well. So it's written so people can dip in and out of it, or you can read the whole lot. Um, and it's not just written for women as well. So I, I, I feel, and I'm not saying it because it's my book, I feel that everyone should read it. I really wish I'd read it six years ago before I started to experience symptoms. And I wish my husband had read it actually, because when I was being really horrid to him, because I had this demon in my brain telling me it was fine to shout and be rude at him, he might have said to me, Louise, you're 45, you know, are your periods changing? Because I wasn't monitoring them and I didn't really know what was going on. So I would have loved all my mum to have read it or my sister to have read it. So it's about trying to improve awareness. And I really um, felt very strongly that we should have perimenopause on the title. Penguin said, that's a really long title. Let's just call it menopause. And I said, no, because so many women I see have been suffering for too long when they become menopausal. You know, if you're suffering for seven, eight, nine years, then it's, you can, it's, Women's lives are just awful. I can't even begin to tell you the stories of women who are really struggling. And every week in my clinic, we're seeing women who are suicidal because of their hormones. And I saw someone in my clinic last week who had been sectioned because she was at risk of harming herself straight after her refractory. And no one had given her hormones. And they told her she was just a bit crazy. And it was all due to um, manic depression. And her and her husband came to see me and they were really traumatised by this experience. She'd been an inpatient in a psychiatric hospital for three weeks. And, you know, anything that can reduce that risk of women suffering is going to be good. So, yeah. So it's not all doom and gloom in the book, though. There's, a, you know, it's ways of trying to help. And everyone can help themselves, but also help others as well. Because the menopause is here to stay. This isn't just a a fashion that we're talking about now and it'll be gone tomorrow it's here forever women are here forever so we've got to <laughs> help them 50 percent of the population here here forever so yeah of course Pit, women can monitor their symptoms or monitor their their the periods on your balance app as well yeah so the balance app is a free app that women can download themselves um, and women can monitor their symptoms and like you say if they're having periods they can track them there's a lot of information on it and it's quite individualized so if i went on it and i'd for example had um, a hysterectomy in the past or i'd had migraines it would individualize some of the information that it's giving as well there's an ability to monitor and track how your symptoms improve with different treatments and you can see how others are as well. And there's a big community where people can share their stories and there's also ways that people can involve in experiments. So have um, try and reduce their sugar, try and do some meditation, try and um, improve their lifestyle as well, which people really like actually and you can monitor what you eat and that sort of thing. But for me, the biggest thing that I think is great on it is there's an ability that you can pull off a health report on it. So the symptoms and your medical history, your periods if relevant, will be created. You'll get a PDF that's created, um, which you can download, you can email or print off your healthcare professional. So rather than me going to my doctor and saying, I feel really tired, my migraines have got worse, I've got joint stiffness, and the doctor's going, ah, oh, one problem, one consultation, I don't, this is too much to deal with. I can say, I've got these symptoms, they're all listed here, I've done my reading, I'm perimenopausal, and actually this is what I'd like. And then it will really reduce that consultation. We've done some work, and um, I did a survey of 5,000 women, and we found that 9% of them took 10 GP consultations 
just to get the diagnosis of their perimenopause or menopause. If we reduce that to two, that saves 750,000 GP consultations a year. So what I want the app to do is to help help women, but also help our health economy too. Yeah, I can highly recommend it. I've recommended it to all my, my wife's perimenopausal and I've, rec I've recommended it to all, all the females in my family who are using it. So it's a very, very, very useful resource. So before we finish up, Louise, I mean, obviously you're seeing women every single day in your practice and, you know, discussing this important topic all the time. What's the single most important piece of advice you would actually give to a woman who is experiencing perimenopausal symptoms? I think the most important thing is to be empowered with evidence-based information. And I say evidence-based because it's really important that you get to know the facts. If you can understand what's going on with yourself, then it's working out what the best treatment is for you. And I've already said the majority of women would benefit from HRT. And sadly, a lot of women aren't receiving it because they're being told incorrect information. So it's, it's about being strong that you can get the right help from the healthcare professional. You can help your healthcare professional by downloading the app. We've also developed a free educational program called Confidence in the Menopause, which any GP can download for free. It's a remote learning program. So ask at your practice if someone has done the education, or if not, if someone can do it. We've had 13,000 people already have done it. Um, and, and be confident because it's your future health. You know, a third of, uh, a third of our lives are spent in the menopause. So we have to get it right. It's not just like a pregnancy for nine months. So being really in control, and it's very hard sometimes to be in control when your brain's gone with the menopause or perimenopause. So get your friend, get your partner, get somebody to help you, support you, to make the right decision. And your decision can change as well. So I'm not here saying what you decide today has got to be the same for the next 30 years. Just read as much. Make sure that what you're doing is right for you because I strongly feel we should all be happy and strong and fit during our menopause it's really important we owe it to ourselves but we owe it to others as well yeah incredibly important advice well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us louise you're doing some wonderful work out there you really are you're the go-to resource you know you, you and, your, and your website for everything perimenopausal and, and menopausal so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today oh thanks for inviting me it's been great so thanks so much to Louise for some really important insights about perimenopause and menopause. Her new book, Preparing for the Perimenopause and Menopause, is available to buy from the 26th of August and it really is a must read for all women and men. And I hope today's episode on managing the menopause with Dr. Louise Newsom was helpful. It's been a real pleasure spending time with you today and I'll look forward to seeing you next time.